We're going to study tonight several chuvas dealing with stamps, not the kind of stamps that you put on envelopes, postage stamps, but the stamps of the Stamp Act, the European form of revenue raising that we once fought a revolution about. The, at least that's what I learned in grade school, that the, the stamp taxes of England were perceived as onerous and unfair by the colonists. So we're going to study several chuvas tonight regarding these stamps and stamp taxes. Uh, there, there actually is a strong connection to Pesach. The first, the first chuva we're going to do is about Mechiras Chametz, the, the shtaris used, the documents used in Mechiras Chametz, and these stamp taxes. This is an excerpt, a small excerpt, from a tshuva of the Chasim Sofer. Chasim Sofer, of course, one of the greatest poskim of the last several hundred years. So this is about two centuries ago. He says, V'hine, V'yosa Dayan Hagon, Rebaruch Frankel, Rebaruch Frankel Tumim, one of the other Gedole Hadar of that time, the Abbasin of the Jewish community in Leipnik. When he was alive, he said, he, apparently he predeceased the Chasim Sofer. He says the Ira Maisa, there was once an incident, Shinu Malshinim Hamadina The Malshinim, the informers, the troublemakers, <coughs> they informed on the Jews. They told the government, Hakira, that the Jews were selling their chametz without getting a proper temple the proper stamp without paying for the stamp which legal documents required a stample, required a stamp which was a form of tax, you had to pay for it it was more I think than the nominal amount of a postage stamp, you had to pay uh, it was a form of tax for a tax basically collected on legal documents so these troublemakers said the Jews are doing Mechiras Chametz, that's a commercial transaction, the documents are supposed to be on stamped paper and the Jews aren't buying stamps so this could have gotten the Jews in hot water when the matter came before the, his piousness, the, the, the czar, the, 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 the head of the government in that area, Omar, he was very gracious about it. He said, This is not masumatan, this is not business, this is not commercial business the Jews are doing. Everyone understands Mechiras Chametz is a ritual thing, it's not, it's not business. El Inyan Das religion. It's a matter of religion. It's not, it's not commerce that they're doing here. Al-Kain, Einzeh Bechiv Shtemple. Therefore, the, the, the Tsar said, it's okay, there's no need for a stamp. This is a, a, ordinary paper that you use for personal use didn't require stamps. It was only commercial documents. It was only legal documents that required a shtemple. So the, so the, the Tsar said, this is fine. This is, not, this is just religion. This is, here at Summits is a religious thing. It's not a commercial transaction doesn't need a stamp. Okay, he was trying to be nice. So the Tsar was trying to be good-natured about this. However, because of this issue, the, the Gon, the Baruch Tam, or Baruch Tumor Frankel, was worried now. He said, wait a second. What he understood the Tsar's position, Rav Baruch Tumor Frankel, was that the Tsar didn't recognize the sale at all. It's not a sale. It's just, uh, it's just a ritual act. It's just, uh, it's just a religious ceremony they're doing. So therefore, it, that's why it doesn't need a stamp. If the government doesn't recognize, if the government doesn't recognize the, if the government doesn't recognize the, the, the shtar is valid, it's not a valid shtar. If it's not a valid shtar, 
then there's no Mechira, and then we're, we're in trouble. Our whole Mechira's comments has gone out the window. That was the concern of Rebaruch Tumim Frankel. Says the Chesim Sofer, I disagree. Ulevavi lokein yidma. I don't agree with his concern. That's not how I interpret the position of the Tsar. <coughs> Rather, he says, ki ashtar kasher, hein Yisrael. The Shtar is actually is kasher. The Shtar is a valid Shtar. It's a valid document, a valid sale. Both Bedin Yisrael, both under Jewish law and under non-Jewish law. In Baha Gai Lahotzi Mechob Dayan Arei If the if the if the non-Jew came to Basin and said, "I want the chametz, I have a star, I plan to pay for it, and I'm going to take it and take delivery of it," Basin would say, "Yes, you're right. This is a valid star. Stempel or no stempel, stamp or no stamp." Hey, Bedinu Masaola. The star actually is valid and is enforceable. Bedinu Masaola. Ella Shaaz Kishitvanu Bedinu Masaola. Tzarul Shalom Chila Stempel. If the if if they would try to use the star in court, uh, it, it would ha- it would ha- it would be a valid legally binding document. You'd have to pay the tax at that point. But if you're actually using the star as a valid document, it would owe the tax. Ah, Hakira Bachasto Viashranuso. But the Tsar in his Chesed and his Yosher, his uprightness, Omar, Shalkiyotzi Bazelo, Hitzel Ol Hashtempel. They choose not to tax this kind of document. Kivan Shain Tamakonamarkla Derek Tagarim El Lafkiamayasrachamitz. Since the, the purpose of this transaction is not commercial, the purpose, obviously, no one's going to argue, is religious, to, to avoid the surim of having chametz on Pesach. He chooses not to tax such transactions. What the Chetzim Tover seems to be saying is, the fact that the Tsar is not charging tax, that's not a simon, that's not an indication that he doesn't recognize the, the Shtar as being valid at all. It is valid. Rather, it's a decision not to tax it. We don't tax, not all transactions are taxed equally. Some transactions are taxed more than others. Uh, or, or some, some transactions are taxed, some are not. And the czar chooses, the government chooses to say that if the purpose of a transaction is not commercial, we choose not to tax it. Not because we don't recognize it as being a legally valid transaction, but because the, the taxes are based on purpose. The taxes take into account what, what the purpose of a certain transaction is. If the purpose is not, is not commercial but religious... <coughs> then he chooses not to tax it. But in the Chinami, the government recognizes the, the shtar is valid, we recognize the shtar is valid, and it's simply not subject to tax. That's the Chesim Tzorfer's position, uh, a, a, pretty, a pretty clear and straightforward position. Rebaruch Tumor Frankel did not agree. He apparently felt that by the Tsar choosing not to tax the, not to tax the shtaris, he was indicating that he doesn't consider it a real shtar. And that itself, we'll see in some of the subsequent sources we do tonight, that itself is a subject of great debate. If al-pi halacha, a shtar is good, but the, if al-pi halacha, a shtar is good, but in, according to the law, it's not good, do we care? Does Mechiret Chametz demand a shtar that's valid according to our halacha, according to our law? Or since it's a, it's, a, it's a transaction with a non-Jew, do we require that the shtar, the transaction, be valid according to their law? That's a major machlokis, but the, but the Chassam Sofer says... And that's not even the issue here. He feels that this star is valid both under Jewish law and under non-Jewish law. It's valid under both of them. The absence of the tax is not an indication that they consider it an invalid star, a, a fake star. Rather, it's just a decision not to tax transactions of this nature, but the star itself is valid both under our law and under their law. Now, it's noteworthy that Chassam Sofer goes on in this tshuva, this tshuva, I think, possibly a different tshuva, and says that he thinks Mechir Eschametz is very solid. It's uh, it's it's it, it, it's totally uh, legitimate according to halacha. As is anyone who's mafakfek on it, anyone who casts aspersions on it, 
should be uh, should be sharply criticized. It's a it's a well established and and authentic minhag Yisrael. Rebaruk Tumu Frankel, however, did not think so. In this tshuva, he raises the issue with a stamp. In one of his own tshuvas, in the Ateres Chachamim, his sefer, he had also an extended correspondence with the Chasam Sofer on various issues relating to Mechiras Chametz. At one point, he actually tells the Chasam Sofer that I am really not convinced that Mechiras Chametz as practiced today, 200 years ago in the 19th century, I'm not convinced it's really a good sale. I think it's uh, very dubious for, on various grounds. And he writes about himself. He says... From when I came of age, from when I became old enough and mature enough to make my own decisions, I have avoided Mechiras Chametz. Not only that, but he even avoided purchasing Chametz, he says, that was, that was sold on Pesach. He wouldn't, purchase goods that were, he wouldn't purchase goods that were sold on Pesach. There is a well-known minhag that we have today, that, that, that many people try not to sell real chametz, chametz gummer. The Many people today do not sell chametz gummer. If, if you read the, the guidance of various cashless agencies, the Star K and others, and they say that it's, uh, it's, it's a praiseworthy minug to avoid selling chametz gummer. Mikra, you don't have to, you're allowed to sell chametz gummer. The minug is that we do sell chametz gummer, but, but, but it, it, is a, it is a minug not to, not to sell chametz gummer for various reasons. But the, not to sell chametz for various reasons, but many of the cashless agencies say, even those who don't sell chametz gummer don't have to be machmer not to buy chametz gummer that was owned by another Jew, like a store, and was sold on Pesach. <coughs> the the, the, the Rabbanim put out guides after Pesach, certain stores to avoid. Those are stores that don't sell their chametz. But a store that sells its chametz, even if you personally want to be medaktik and not... Even even if you personally want to be medactic and not uh, and not buy and not buy uh, and not sell your own chametz because then then you're risking the isser of owning chametz on Pesach, the cashless agencies say that the the cashless agencies say that, that you don't have to be strict about not purchasing chametz that was owned by other Jews that was sold on Pesach. The truth is that 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 is not everyone agrees. The Vilna Gaon and Rebaruch Tumim Frankel. Both had the practice of, of not purchasing chametz after Pesach that was in the possession of Jews that was sold. The Rebbe Frankel in the Teresa he writes, Tasily, he says, I should get tzchar, I'm proud of myself, he says, Miyom Sha'am Dal Daiti, Ani Nazir, I conduct myself like a Nazir with respect to Shtiyas Yai and Saraf, Yisrael, Pesach, I won't buy liquor and beer that, that belonged to a Jew before Pesach, and he relied on selling it. I never wanted to get involved in Mechiras Chametz because, uh, because I think it's dubious. And he says, I, I won't even buy Chametz that was sold on Pesach. Certainly won't sell it myself. I won't even buy stuff that was sold on Pesach. And the Vilna Gaon as well, they, they, in the Maiserav, they bring that he says, after Pesach, you shouldn't buy stuff that was, you shouldn't buy stuff that was owned by a Jew and was, and was sold. But uh, you should either buy from a non-Jew or from stuff that wasn't made at the chametz. It was just raw flour. That's, that's not chametz before Pesach. That's a whole question whether, whether, whether our flour, which, is, which comes in contact with water, is, is washed or sprayed before Pesach is considered chametz gummer or not. Many posts can say it's not chametz gummer. It doesn't really become chametz necessarily. You shouldn't eat it on Pesach, but, but it's not necessarily chametz gummer. I'll call upon him. Rebarakdum Frankel was a, one of the great skeptics of Mechiras Chametz. In this particular dialogue with the Chasim Sofer, he raised the, the, the specific objection that if we're not paying the stamp and the czar says we don't have to, he interpreted that to mean that the czar isn't recognizing our sale as valid legally. 
Chazam Sefer says that that's, that's, that, that's not the correct legal interpretation. The czar is recognizing our sale as valid. It's just that he chooses not to tax it despite recognizing it as valid since it doesn't have a commercial purpose. Yes? Right, so Simcha, Simcha is raising the, the famous question of Jewish distributors, even if the store you're buying from is from a non-Jew after Pesach. Today, with a more complicated supply chain, you have to be concerned that the middlemen, the distributors, might be Jewish, so people have done research and tracked down who the big distributors are and which ones are Jewish. So, in practical questions, you, you, you have to look at uh, what, what, what the facts are. But I'll call upon him. This was this is Machlokas between Rebarak Tumum Frankel and the Chasim Sofer. Another discussion of this stamp issue with regard to Mechiris Chametz is by Rabbi Avram David Warman of Bachach, the Bachach Rav. He was one of the greatest poskim of his time in Europe, the author of the Eishel Avram and Arachayim and the Kesef Kedoshim and Choshen Mishpat and the Das Kedoshim and Avon Ezer and the Ezer Mikodesh and Yeridea. He was, uh, he, he was one of the great poskim of his time. And he wrote in the introduction to the Sefer Neta Shashuim. Tshuvah Neta Shashuim was by someone else, but he wrote, in a, he wrote an introduction in, in the, in, where he had a couple of notes about uh, Hilchus Pesach, and he writes there that, that he also deals with a similar question to that of Rebarak Tumor Frankel and the Chasim Sofer. He says that the, the government had said that even when they imposed the stamp tax and they said every star, every legal document, every commercial document must have, must have a purchase stamp on it, they said the the shtaris of mechiras chametz, the law ex- explicitly exempted them from, from from requiring a stamp. So he was also addressing the same question that Rabbi Tuma Frankel and the Chazam Sofer did. Maybe that means that they don't recognize this as a valid sale. Says the Bachacher, similar to the Chazam Sofer, he says that this does not invalidate the shtar. He says, that, he says the, the reason is that they, they choose to say that a short term sale, which is expected to be reversed in a week. You don't have to buy a stamp. The Chazam said that since the whole point of the sale is not commercial, he says because it's expected to only last seven days, after which we're going to, after which we're going to buy it back from the non-Jew. He says, therefore, so short-term temporary sales, which are in effect temporary, they choose not to tax, but it really is a valid sale. So he agrees with the Chazam Sofer that just because, just because they don't choose to impose the tax on Shtaris and Mechiras Chametz, that does not mean that they don't recognize the Shtar as valid. Rather, it just means that they choose not to tax the, the, this type of transaction, but that in no way impugns the validity of the transaction itself. We turn now to a tshuva of the Divrei Chaim, the Sanz Arav, or Chaim Halberstam, founder of Sanz, one of the great, great early Hasidic poskim. He also deals with a question, incidentally, before we go to the Sanz Arav's tshuva, uh, I, will, I will mention that the, the Bachacher himself, even though in this tshuva he says the absence of the stamp doesn't, reckon, doesn't render the, the fact that the law exempts the, exempts the, the, the Shtar from a stamp doesn't render it invalid sale, he himself has another discussion of, of stamps, a very interesting discussion of stamps, where he has a great humor about the stamps. He, he relates in his, in his commentary to Shulchan Aruch Evan Ezer, he says in Hilchus Ksuvus, he was once Misadra Kedushin at a wedding. He personally was Misadra Kedushin, if I recall correctly. And he says, absentmindedly, when he drew up the Ksuva, he did not use stamp paper. It sounds like his minog was he usually used proper, legally acceptable stamp paper for the Ksuva. Once he neglected to do so. 
And he says he was actually concerned that the Ksuva might be invalid. He was concerned that the Ksuva should have legal validity. This is a major point. It's discussed by other postkim as well. This is a major, major question. Whether Ksuva... Most people who write Ksuvas don't give much thought to, the, to whether it's legally valid or not. A ksuva is not even signed by the husband. In, in, in the, the minute in America among Ashkenazim, is a ksuva is not even signed by the husband. In some communities, the husband does sign. But in a standard American Ashkenazi ksuva, it's just signed by witnesses. That's not exactly the way you drop a, the way you drop a contract in American law. And there are other reasons why it might not be valid under American law. Postcom have actually debated whether it matters that the ksuva be valid under American law or not. But the Bachacha was Choshesh that it should be valid under European law, whatever country he was talking about. And he explains, Ksuva in particular, more so than other areas of halacha, Ksuva in particular, there's a particularly acute reason that we want it to be valid, not just according to Torah law, but according to non-Jewish law, he says, because it's clear from Chazal, or Chazal discussed their, their, their goals and motives in enacting the Takana of Ksuva, the goal is that a woman should feel secure, that, that, that a woman should feel that she has recourse if he divorces her, she has a, an enforceable document that he owes through Ksuva. Chazal said that we want the Isha to be samchadata, we want her not just to have technically the legal right to get money, we want, we want her to have something that she can take to the bank, so to speak, something that she feels is reliable and comfortable, that, 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 and she can feel assured that she'll get her money. And if, if she doesn't have that smichastas, if she doesn't feel confident in her ability to collect, that itself impugns the halachi validity of the ksuva. Says the Bachacher, ideally everyone should go to Basin, not court. But by Bansenu Harabim, as I recall, he says, people sometimes go to court. And if the woman knows that, she, that, that she'll be hard-pressed to collect her ksuva because the husband will insist on going to court, and if she goes to court, the, the court will throw out her ksuva because it's not stamped. Mechiris Chametz was an exception, but ksuva apparently was not an exception. If you brought in the ksuva to court and tried to collect it, he was choshesh, the court would not honor it, would not recognize the shtar. Therefore, he said, the woman's not samchadate. So I believe he says he wrote a, he wrote a new ksuva. He, he was choshesh to write a new ksuva on stamped paper. So there he was very machmer, to, to be choshesh, to have a proper ksuva on stamped paper. Mechiris Chametz, the, the, the government explicitly exempted the Mechiris Chametz from a stamp. The only question is, does that exemption itself render the Mechira not valid, so like the Chassam Sofer, he says, no, it doesn't. It's just a decision. They can choose to tax whatever classes of transactions they want. They choose not to tax this particular type of transaction. That's their decision. We're, it's gracious of them. We're happy. But that in no way impugns the validity of the sale. Turning now to a tshuva of the Divrei Chaim, the Sanzarov. His question was as follows. Shtar Mechira Schametz L'Nochri Hanichta B'Loshon HaKodesh <coughs> you have a shtar of Mechiras Chametz written in Hebrew. In Mahani Machmatinid Malchusa, Shlo Yoel Shum Shtar Hanichta Beloshna Kodesh, over it. Zulas Beloshna Ashkenaz. The law in some European jurisdiction was that shtaros could not be written in a foreign language. They had to be written in the official language of the country. Um, the question is only in Ashkenaz, only in German. Hebrew and Loshna Kodesh and Nevrit were not acceptable. The question is, does that render a shtar written in Lashon Kodesh in violation of this law, does that render the shtar invalid? Now, in America, there's no such law. We don't have stamp taxes. There is no law requiring a contract generally to be written in any particular language. As long as the contract is clear, it's enforceable in court. It doesn't, there's no, we don't have an official language in the United States, really. We don't have laws about requiring contracts to be written in any particular language. 
But in European countries, we see this in other Shuvahs as well, in European countries, there were such laws that required contracts to be written in, in, in one or one of several official languages, and the, the Shtaras and Mechiris Chamech did not always comply with that regulation. And therefore, the postkim wondered, is this a problem? If we have a Shtar which would not be recognized by the law as valid, does that, uh, what, is, what does that mean? What are the implications for Mechiris Chamech? Says in Chaim, so I only excerpted part of the Tshuva here, but says in Chaim, the Icar is that when it comes to Mechiras Chametz, he takes the, the staunch position that we follow Torah law, we don't care what the local secular law says about the Shtar. He says, he says that the, he says that's where the language doesn't matter, despite the fact that the law says that a Shtar must be written in the proper language, it, halacha has no such requirement, and we don't care about the fact that the law has that, requi- has that requirement. And he says, we have to assume that way. Because now he raises the same issue that was raised by Rebarach Tum Frankel and the Chacham Sofer and the Bachacher. He says, what happened to the stamp, he says. No star would work. Even if you write a star in German, it's still not going to work, he said, because nobody's paying for the, nobody's paying for the stamp, he says. If you, if you care about secular law, he says, no shtar of Mechir Eschametz would be valid. So how can we rely on any shtar? If we really care about secular law, he says, he says, he, he says, the, he, 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 he also says that, that the government was okay, was okay with, we weren't in violation of the law. We weren't going to get in trouble for not buying stamps. We weren't going to be uh, breaking the law. But the reason is because they didn't consider it a valid sale. Unlike, he held like the Baruch Tam. Unlike the who is his mechutan, I think, unlike the unlike the chasam sofer and the bachacher who held that even though they choose not to tax it, they still recognize it as a valid sale. They just choose not to tax it. He holds like a baruch to him, Frankel. He says, you ask around. He says that the courts will not enforce such a star. He says it's not a valid star. So says the says the if you really care about their laws, we're really up the creek without a paddle. Every mechiras chametz, since nobody's paying for the stamps. It's not valid, he says. Vada, he says, the, the, the only answer to this question is, so far we have two answers. We have the Chassam Sofer and, and the Bachachu say, no, no, they, they, they really recognize it as a good star. We have the Baruch Tum Frankel who says, in Achinami, that, that that's a weakness in Mechir Chametz and another reason to avoid uh, doing modern Mechir Chametz. Tivrachayim says, no, the answer to this question is, we don't care what the secular law is in this context. We're not breaking the law again. If you don't want to pay the tax, don't pay the tax. But then the star won't have any won't have any validity as a legal document. So, so we're not engaging in unlawful conduct. Our star just simply will not be recognized by the law as a valid contract. Why doesn't that bother us? Why 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 don't we care that the star is not valid under the law? It must be elavadai de'ein When it comes to mechiras chametz, which is relevant to our Torah, our our mitzvahs of Pesach and chametz. All we care about is that the sale and the star should be valid according to Torah law. We don't care whether it's valid according to secular law, and therefore it doesn't matter. The same way it doesn't matter if we. The same way the same way the fact that we don't buy a stamp is not a problem. The fact that it's written in German, but it's not written in German, it's written in Lush and Kodesh, that does not bother us. He says. Oh, and then he brings. I'm sorry. Then he brings not as mechutin, but he says. And therefore, he says, he actually recommends against doing it in Ashkenaz. His correspondent had apparently proposed doing it in Ashkenaz, in German. He actually cautions against that. He says, Yudavka should not do that. And the reason, as I recall, the reason he explains is because the Rabbanim were not necessarily fluent in German. If they tried to uh, cobble together a star in German, 
a language which they're, they, they're, which they're not so fluent in, the star may contain problems or inaccuracies and, uh, or infelicities of language which could actually cause real problems. Don't try to do that, he said. Better write the star in Hebrew or Yiddish or whatever language you know, and, and the star will say exactly what it needs to say. The fact that it's not valid under the law is not a problem. Don't try to do it in German, he says. You're just going to lead to problems if you don't speak German well, if you don't write German well. Therefore, he says, We should not deviate from Armasar. Then he says, His father-in-law, who was the Baruch Tumor Frankel, he says, did actually want the Shtar written in German. That the, and again, the, 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 the Baruch Tam, as we've seen, the, the Baruch Tumor Frankel was a, was very, was very anxious about Mechiras Chametz. He, he didn't want to rely on it himself. He felt there were all kinds of problems. He felt the absence of a stamp was a problem. He felt the language was a problem. He was very un- unhappy with many aspects of Mechiras Chametz. So he, he acknowledges, the Chaim acknowledges his own father-in-law did apparently, his custom was to write it in German, he says. Nevertheless, he wasn't entirely convinced that that was the right way to do it. He himself wasn't uh, absolutely sure about this. Therefore, my opinion is, says the Chaim, it's not a problem to write it in, in Lush and Kodesh. And therefore, you should write it in Lush and Kodesh. And, uh, and that's the Machlokas. So we have a major, major Machlokas here. First of all, we have Machlokas whether if Ishtar is not valid under, under secular law, does that matter for Machiras Chametz? Tivrechaim says absolutely not, it doesn't matter. <coughs> Other posts can say it does. Furthermore, we have another Machlokas in a case where the government explicitly tells us that, that they don't mind if, if we don't have a tax, they made an exception for Machiras Chametz. What does that mean? The Chasim Sofer and, Rebaruch, and, and the, and the, and the Bachacher said that, that that means they do recognize the star as valid, they just, don't, they just don't choose to tax it, while others, like Rebaruch Tzimun Frankel and the Chaim say that means they don't consider it as valid. And just that the, the Chaim says we don't care if they consider it as valid, and the, the Chaim said, and, and Rebaruch Tzimun Frankel said we do care if it's not valid, so ultimately we have three different positions. We have the position that it's not valid if it has no stamp, and that's actually a problem, Rebaruch Tzimun Frankel, we have the position that it's not valid without a stamp, but we don't care. That's the Dibrech Chaim. And we have the position that it is valid even without a stamp, because they're just choosing not to tax it, but they do recognize it as being valid. So those are the three sheetas we have in the Achronim about Mechiras Chametz without a stamp. Again, today, we don't have the stamp tax at all, but the whole thing is mostly, the whole thing is in one sense of merely historical interest. On the other hand, the, the underlying halakhic questions are fascinating. If the how to understand the government's, uh, how does halacha approach uh, these types of laws by the government? And the general question, do we care if a, if a shtar of Mechiras Chametz is not valid under prevailing law? As I mentioned earlier, there's a similar question about ksuva. Do we care if the ksuva is not valid under prevailing law? Nobody's really made any effort to ensure, nobody has made any serious effort in the U.S. to ensure that the, that the ksuva is valid under American law, either because they just assume that it is, or because, like the Debrechaim, they, they, they don't think you have to make the... Uh, Shtaris that are designed for halakhic purposes valid according to secular law. But one way or another, this is a fascinating and uh, unsettled issue in halacha, whether we care that our shtaris be valid under secular law when, we, when we're doing them primarily for religious purposes. The final tshuva I want to look at tonight is a tshuva of the Harakarmel. I don't know much about the author. It's, uh, it's a chash of a sefer on tshuvas and arba kelkeh he has a question involving stamp, the stamp taxes as well. Nothing to do with Mechiris Chametz and Elchaz Pesach. He has a question as follows. She'ela. Melech Chokak, he also lived, I think, two or three centuries ago. His question was as follows. Melech Chokak Chok, a certain king enacted a law 
that every Jew must place a stamp, a stamp, a stamp of the king on every safer that he has. You have to pay a certain fee, a tax or a fee for this stamp. Again, whether this was primarily a, a revenue-raising measure, which is my understanding of the stamp taxes that we've discussed before, or whether it was just a form of, uh, of censorship and control of Svarim, that you had to, you had to uh, submit it for approval and pay a fee for that. I don't know. Likely it was a form of tax. Any safer which did not have the tax paid, there was a penalty that it could be seized by anybody who found it. Anybody who found a safer without without a without without the without a proper paid for stamp would be free to seize it for himself. Chutzknas, <coughs> there's also a penalty. So if they caught you, you'd be fine. But additionally, there was a kind of I guess we'd call this civil forfeiture, not just by the government. Anyone who found a safer without a tax, without a stamp tax paid on it, could simply seize it for himself. So, in this jurisdiction, Shimon borrowed from Ruvain a Sefer to study. Ruvain's Sefer did not have a stamp. Ruvain was breaking the law and did not pay for the stamp, did not pay for the Schosam on his Sefer. Some government official entered Shimon's home. Not, not, not apparently he was looking for contraband Svarim, but he came in there, it sounds like, for some other purpose. He saw the Sefer, he said, Aha, no stamp on this Sefer. He seized it, and he walked off with it. Shimon couldn't do anything about it, because that was the law. Ruven says, you, you owe me for the Sefer. You, it, it, was, it was seized from your possession. You shouldn't have left it on the bookshelf. You know that this is contraband, and you, you know or you should know this is contraband. You can't leave it lying around because it's, uh, it's susceptible to being seized. You should have taken better care of it. It's your fault. It's your problem and your fault. You should have put a proper stamp in it, he says. Why am I responsible? You should take care of your farm. Had your safer had a stamp, it wouldn't have been in any danger. You gave me a safer without a stamp. Why am I, why am I achrei? Why is it my problem? So the Harakamra has a very interesting analysis of this case. His analysis is broken into several parts. The first part of the tshuva deals with, let's say, let's, the, the, the first part of his analysis assumes that Shimon was aware that it had no stamp. Shimon responded, when, when he sets forth uh, the, the details of the case, he says, Shimon responded, you should have put a stamp in it. It wasn't entirely clear if Shimon knew there was no stamp, but he said, well, that, that's your decision, so you, should, you chose not to put a stamp. I knew that, but still, that, that was your call, and you didn't stamp it, so it's your problem. Or was Shimon saying, I didn't know there wasn't a stamp. I assumed, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know. I, I, assumed, I assumed it was properly stamped. I assumed that, you, that you, uh, you, were, you were complying with the law. So the first portion of the tshuva deals with what happens if Shimon, assuming Shimon was aware there was no stamp. The second portion of the tshuva deals with assuming Shimon did not know there was no stamp. <laughs> In the second half of the tshuva, he's going to argue that if Shimon didn't know there was no stamp, then he's actually off the hook because he can say, Ruvain, it was your duty to tell me that, that, that it, didn't have, it didn't have a stamp. But in the first part of the tshuva, he, he's assuming that he, he's working on the, on the assumption that Shimon, didn't, that Shimon didn't know it wasn't stamped. He can't say, uh, I was under a misimpression. Shimon knew perfectly well there was no stamp. Now, what's the halacha? So he says, there's a halacha 
that if a shomer places the object in an insecure location, a shomer's first and foremost duty is to place the item entrusted to his care in a secure location. The exact details of what's called secure, it varies by the type of property, how fragile it is, how, exp- how big it is, how expensive it is, and so on. There are rules. But generally speaking, it, it's his achrayas to his responsibility to place the item in a secure location, where it's secure against thieves, secure against fires, and so on. He has to place it in a secure location. The halacha is, if a shomer places the item, a custodian places the item in an insecure location, the, the Arakarmel says, he tries to prove, even if, even if the, the, the owner himself also is reckless with regard to his object, he also sometimes puts it in, he also put, keeps it in places which are insecure. The Arakarmel says, nevertheless, the shomer is still chayef. Whatever the owner does, that's his business. But you as a shomer, you have to take care of the item. The fact that he himself is, is reckless and careless is not, has no bearing on you. Once you become a shomer, once you become a custodian, you are, you are obligated to take objectively good care of the item. You can't just point to him and say, well, that's what you do, so it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. It doesn't work like that. You have a duty of care to take care of the item and the, that the... That, that you have a you have a duty, he says to you have a duty to. To uh, you have you have a duty of care, he says that. That that that, that unless he says unless unless he says that he, the 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 owner puts it in a completely reckless place without any shmir at all, then it's and then it's like he's, uh, then it's like he's. Um, I'm sorry. He, say, he says that, the, that, that that's the general rule, that just because he treats his, his chayfetz a little bit recklessly, that's not justification for you to do so. Therefore, he says, in our case, assuming that the relative, la- relative level of danger is similar in the, in the house of the, ma- the mashal, the house of the shol, e- either one of them is equally susceptible to having somebody walk in, notice the safer, and seize it and steal it under the law. Civil forfeiture. So he says doesn't matter that you, you can't just say, well, the owner put it in exactly the same type of place, I can do the same thing. It doesn't work like that. <coughs> it's his safer, he can do with it what he wants, but as soon as you become a shomer, you become obligated to adhere to objectively uh, good standards of Shmira, he says, and therefore, and therefore he says, you're uh, chayef. Certainly, he says, if Kolshkein, uh, Afortiori, if Ruvain's house was safer, if, if, his, if his house was, if his house was, people don't come in as often, he doesn't have these kind of troublemakers wandering through his house, or he says Ruvain has good hiding places, he has secret, uh, secret uh, compartments where he keeps his farm, and so on, he says, then certainly Shimon's Chayim. But even without that, he says, even, even if the level of danger is equal between Ruvain and Shimon, nevertheless Shimon is Chayim, just because Ruvain does it, doesn't mean that Shimon is allowed to do it, he's a Shomer, He's obligated to take better care of the object than than Reuven was. This point is actually debated. Other posts can disagree. Other posts can talk about cases where where where, where the shomer does something which is objectively objectively a poor shmir. It's below standard. But his defense is, you you did the same thing. So why 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 do you expect me to be any better than you? Other posts can say that that is a defense. Rosh Yosef, I think, says this. Rosh Yosef talks about a case where. 
in general, if you have garments, if you're a shomer on garments, you're not you, in the t- in earlier generations at least you weren't supposed to store them in chests on, or boxes on the ground because the mice get them and eat them. You have to store them in a way that provides protection from rats. You have to suspend them from the air. Yet you have to do things that will that will prevent rats, or mice, from from getting to them and chewing them up. So the Rosh Yosef talks about a case where where the the owner of the garments was storing the owner of the garments was storing his was storing his his uh, his garments in a box on the ground, and the shomer picked it up from him and uh, and stored it in the same box, it's the same the same arrangement. And sure enough, the mice got them, and then the mafkid said, "You're chayev because you're supposed to take care of the mice. Don't get them." And the shomer said, "Well, what do you mean? It's exactly what you did. I took the same box that you had and stored it in the same type of location on the floor. If it was good enough for you, it's good enough for me." He says, "You are potter. That the general rule is a shomer is allowed to say that if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me." This point is actually a major machlokus. So, some of the machlokus seems to have to do with an ambiguity in the term. The, the term that goes back to Chazal is b'shalohu rashoi v'lo b'shal chavero. That just because someone does it, you can say a person can do it to himself. He can't, a person can be reckless with his own property. He can't be reckless with someone else's property. The Harakamal understands that the shalohu, the first shalohu in that sentence, refers to the owner. Just because the owner is, is reckless, b'shalohu rashoi, it's his, he can be reckless. You can't be reckless with his property. Others understand that that, that that simply means just because you choose to be reckless with your own property, you can't be reckless with someone else's. If, if I store my own property recklessly, and now I'm a shomer on your property, I can't say, well, by my standards, this is a good enough location, so I put your things exactly the same place I put mine. We find many tshuvas where post, in, in post-game where, where the shomer made this defense. He said, I, I took as good care of your stuff as I took care of my own. That's not a good defense, because... If your standards are objectively low, objectively poor, you can't do that at someone else's expense. But if he himself, if the owner himself, if the owner himself t- doesn't take care of his things, if he himself feels that this is an acceptable form of shmira, you can do the same thing he did. So this is a major machlokas, but the Harakarmel in this tshuva is taking the position that that is not a good defense, that, 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 uh, that even if the owner himself is willing to be reckless, doesn't take particularly good care of his stuff, doesn't matter, you are a shomer, you have to take good care of his property, even better care than he's taking himself, and therefore, even if he himself, by having an unstamped shafer in his house, is being relatively reckless, that doesn't give you the license to do that. If you do, you are a poshea, and you are chayev. He goes back and forth on this point, and he says, therefore you're chayev. Second argument why you are you chayev, he says, is, that it doesn't matter if you're a poshe. Let's say you're not a poshe. Let's say, by, let, let's say when you say that I did whatever you did, I, the shomer, did whatever the owner did, let's say that's a good defense for a shomer. That, let's say like the Rosh Yosef, that, that, that's a valid defense. I treated your property exactly the way you do. You can't expect anything more from me. Let's say that's his defense. Okay, says the Harakarmel. That's true for an ordinary shomer. A shomer chinam or a shomer sachar. But a shoel, in this case, he borrowed the safer. The halacha is, ordinary shomerin have various standards of negligence. An ordinary shomer, a paid shomer, an unpaid shomer, they all have standards of negligence we have to figure out. They have different, different levels depending on whether he's paid or not paid, but ultimately we have to find some degree of negligence, generally. However, a shoel does not need to be negligent. A shoel has a form of strict liability. Even if an onus happens, the animal has a heart attack, he's chayev anyway. The, a shoel is chayev ba'onis, even an onus gummer, lightning strikes, a shoel, a shoel is always chayev. It doesn't matter if he's negligent or not. Absolutely doesn't matter. Says the Harakarmel, therefore, 
it doesn't matter if, if the owner himself did the same thing. So good, the owner, the, owner, the owner was reckless. You can be reckless too. It's not called reckless. But it, you're, you're an onus. An onus is chayev for, for, for a show. Therefore, he's chayev. And again, Kolshkein, if, uh, if his house was safer and so on. And uh, even if the show can say, I didn't know that, uh, that this was a problem. I, was, I wasn't aware of this, of this concern. I, I didn't realize it was such a... I, I didn't know this law. I, wasn't, I didn't realize this happens. Well, the marshal didn't know either, he says. So then, the, wh- wh- why, why are we going to say that the, oh, it's the owner, the, the, the lender's responsibility to know and tell him? Why should I know more than you know? We both live in the city. You don't know it's a problem. I don't know it's a problem either. We, we, whatever the facts are, we're both equally aware of them. Because there's no additional fault of the marshal, because they're equal, therefore the show is chayev. First of all, because he's, he's somewhat negligent and he can't say, well, you did the same thing. And second, because even if he's an onus, he's chayev anyway, because a show is chayev bonus. That is the first, the first section of the tshuva. The, the, the first part of the tshuva is that the shoal is chayev, even though the mashil also didn't care about keeping it safe or secure, even if that's the case, it doesn't matter. As, as a shomer, you have, to, you have to abide by objectively good standards of shmira. It's not enough to say, I do whatever the owner did, we expect more of you. And second, if you're actually a shoal, you're actually a borrower, we don't need to find you negligent. It doesn't matter if you're negligent. You, you have strict liability, you're chayev for an onus. However, in the second phase of his analysis now, he says, however, if the Shoel did not realize, if the borrower did not realize that there was no chosim, he assumed there was a chosim, maybe on some other page. I didn't go through every page. I assume you have a chosim on some appropriate page. I am not, I'm not bothering to check, but I'm assuming that you are a law-abiding citizen, that, that I'm assuming you have a chosim. Then, he says, the Shoel can win. Then the Shoel can say, it's your fault by not telling me and warning me there was no stamp. It's your fault you got me into this. Had I known there was no chosem, I wouldn't have borrowed it, or I would have been more careful. I wouldn't have left it lying around. I would have carefully secured it and hidden it away. When the... But basically, the shawl can say, it's your fault, you got me into trouble. By not telling, I, I assumed that it had a chosem, and you didn't tell me, therefore you are responsible. And he brings, some posts can explain, Rishonim and Achronim explain, that is the rationale for the, for the, for, for the p'tur of the Gemara of Mesa Machmas Malacha. We mentioned before that a shoel is chayev even bonus, even when it's not his fault at all. There's no negligence. Nevertheless, there are still two cases where the shoel is potter. One of them is called she'ela b'ba'alam, which we're not going to get into tonight. The other is called mesa machmas malacha. If the animal dies in the course of doing its work, you borrow an ox to plow a field, and the ox dies in the course of plowing, that is called mesa machmas malacha. The Ramban is a little puzzled by this. The Ramban says... How is that different from the animal just killing over in the barn and dying? In neither case is it the shawl's fault. Why is it any... So what, what does it matter? If, if, if the rule is you need negligence, I understand. If he's using it in the, for the purpose he borrowed, there's no negligence. But if you chayev even for just killing over and dying on its own, onus, you chayev, why should you be potter from Ace Machas Malacha? What's the svar? So the Ramban says, not all Rishonim agree, but it's a major machlokas, but the Ramban says the svar is... In such a case where it dies in the course of, due to the malacha, due to the work for which you borrowed it, that is called meis machas malacha, that there is a presumption that the mashil was pashaya. The lender was negligent. His negligence is a, uh, I think they call this contributory negligence or something like that in law. It's his negligence that, that got you into, into trouble. He lent you something implicitly represented that it was fit for purpose and it wasn't because it died in the course of doing the malacha. Since his negligence is at the root of the problem, that lets you off the hook. Even though you're chayev, even in the absence of any negligence on your part, 
But if he has contributory negligence, if he has, if he lent you something and implicitly represented it as being suitable for the purpose for which he's lending it to you and it wasn't, that's, that's on him, that is his problem, and therefore, and therefore you are, you are going to be potter. Says the Harakarmel, that is going to apply here as well. If there was no stamp, but the, the Shoal didn't realize that, the Shoal assumed there was a stamp, he assumed people follow the law, he assumed that if you gave him a safer, it was a safer that was safe and was not, uh, that was not dangerous contraband that could be seized and so on. So he had no idea. It's your fault for not telling him that it was unsuitable, that it has to be kept out of sight, it has to be hidden away. You didn't tell him all that. How is he supposed to know that? Was he supposed to inspect the whole safer and see if there's a stamp? No, he trusted you. There was once a, there was once a question, I mean, more than once we heard variations of this question. You borrow a car, and you drive 100 miles, and then the engine overheats and burns out. It turns out there was no oil in the car. So are you going to tell me that as a shoel you're chayev because you're tzinonis? No, it's meis machas malacha. He, he gave you the car. When, when you borrow a car, the, if he doesn't warn you that it needs oil, the assumption is that, that the car is, is operational. And if he, if he doesn't tell you, then it's, uh, it's on him for not telling you that it wasn't suitable for the purpose. So, so you're not chayef. Says the Harakarmel, you, you could have checked. You, theoretically, when you took the car out of the garage, you could have checked. You could have pulled out the dipstick and checked and seen whether there was enough oil or not. Th- that's not your responsibility. When, when, when someone gives you something, certainly something where it's not normal to check uh, the, the operator of a vehicle, doesn't check today, it's not the derrick to check every time you drive it, is there enough oil in the car? So that's not your responsibility. It's his responsibility for failing to tell you this, and therefore you are you are potter. Says the Harakarmel, that logic applies here as well. Even though you could theoretically have inspected the whole book to see if there's a stamp or not, not your responsibility. Just like when you borrow a car, you have the right to assume that it's fit for purpose and it's able to be driven. When you borrow a safer, you're, you're entitled to assume that it's fit for purpose, doesn't have to be hidden away in secret compartments because it's, because it's contraband and so on. You're allowed to assume that it was a viable legal safer, and therefore, if you did not know that there was any, uh, if you did not know that there was any um, missing a stamp, you are going to be putter. The last section of the tshuva, which I, I did not include this in the handout, but the last small section of the tshuva deals with uh, really a different question, a variation on the question. He says, "Let's say the safer itself was not seized." But the chosim somehow was seized. Someone stole the chosim. I guess the chosim was valuable. The stamp was valuable. Someone can use it for his own safer. Someone ripped off the chosim and stole it. As a shoel, are you chayev for the loss of the chosim? Assuming you were, assuming you were either negligent or a shoel is chayev bonus. So, so if someone stole the chosim, would you be chayev? So he says, no, you would not be chayev. He says, we, we can look at this in two different ways. We can look at this as now the safer is damaged because it lacks the chosim, it lacks a stamp. Or we can say, you're liable for the loss of the chosam per se. He says, neither of these generates a valid claim. The sefer itself, he says, you can say, famous rule in Choshen Mishpat, if you steal property or damage it in some way, but the physical integrity of the property is basically the same, for some reason, for some social or religious reason, it's worth less, but the physical makeup of the property is essentially the same. You can say a racial chalafanecha. The classic example is, here, here it is, take it. It's not worth anything. I'm not chayef for that. The classic example is, a person steals chametz before Pesach, and he, and he steals it, so you can't sell it, and then he returns it to you after Pesach, and now it's aser. Now, it now it has to be gotten rid of. So you say, you're a ganav. You owe me the chametz. I say, okay, here's the chametz. Here it is. It's, I'm giving it back to you. You say, but now I can't do anything with it, because now it's chametz travel of a Pesach. 
he says, too bad, doesn't mean he's a tzaddik, obviously, he's obviously a Russia, but the point is, he has no legal liability, because as long as he gives back the physical thing that he took, even though for, based on social or religious reasons, it's not worth anything, doesn't matter, since this is, since this is, act, since this is physically the same thing he took, he's potter. Same thing applies here, I borrowed a safer, I gave back a safer, even though it's a safer missing a chosam, he argues that that is called, that is called racial alfanecha, he says, even though it's, it's missing the chosam, since the safer itself, the functional safer, is still intact, and moreover, you can still use it secretly, you can still use it in other countries that don't have these laws, he says, therefore, that, there's no chiyu no for the loss of the chosam. What about responsibility for the chosam itself? The chosam is missing, so why can't he sue you for the loss of the chosam? Also, Pateri says, because there's a famous rule, when it comes to the laws of Shomer, of custodians, there's a famous rule that certain types of assets are exempt from custodial liability. One of them is shtaros, instruments, documents. If I have paperwork, even though it's very valuable paperwork, because without this paperwork, I'll, I, I, I'm going to lose money. Nevertheless, you're not chayev for losing the papers. It's exeris akasu of the Gemara Dashim from Sukkim. You're only chayev as a Shomer, as a custodian, for tangible assets, assets whose value is intrinsic not instruments and documents whose value, the paper itself, is not worth it. You're for the loss of the paper. You're a few cents for the loss of the paper, but you're not chayev for the loss of the underlying assets that losing the star causes you to lose. That's called ein gufamamon. The value is not inherent in the paper. The, the paper represents value somewhere else. The halacha is a shomer is not chayev for loss or damage to the papers because it's ein gufamamon. Therefore, the chosim itself, you can't be chayev for because the chosim is essentially a form of a receipt it's not something which is gufa mamon itself, and therefore there's no din shomer on the on the on the chosim. There actually is a debate as to whether even even pshia, even gross negligence is potter on the chosim. Some rishonim say that uh, you're only potter from some of the other liabilities like ones or theft, but gross negligence you are chayev. But others disagree, and therefore he says the shomer who's the muksa could say that even if I was even if I was grossly negligent, I can still say I'm potter. Because, again, the, the Sefer itself is intact. Here it is, even though it's not as useful anymore, but the Sefer itself is intact. The Chosim is considered Shtaris, and therefore you're not Chayev for the, for the loss of the Chosim. Ladina, you're not going to be Chayev, he says, even if you were guilty of gross negligence.